headlights. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King, and we are so excited to have you with us here today. I want to just uh, welcome everybody. A blessed Easter to each and every one of you. And I hope uh, if you're visiting with us, that you'll just sit back and relax. Allow our home to be your home. Make yourself comfortable. We're just absolutely ecstatic that you're here. I was uh, hiding, trying to be incognito this past Monday, hiding in a coffee shop, had a baseball cap on, was hiding behind my computer screen, and was minding my own business, working on this message, when a voice came from over top of my shoulder that said, uh, uh, excuse me, um, I'm not sure if you're planning on going to church this weekend, but, but it's Easter, and I'd like to invite you to my church. And then this little invitation got slipped underneath of my hand. And I just want to go on record and say this. There is nothing better than being invited to your own church by somebody that you've never, ever met before. I mean, it's just an awesome thing. And I want to say thank you to Tony. He was a little freaked out when I finally looked up from underneath of my baseball cap lid. But I want you to know, bro, I'm here. And I'm going to be here all weekend long. That was an awesome moment. Well, I want to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us at our Ferndale campus. And those of you who are watching online during the week, we're just glad that you're here. Thank you so much for celebrating Easter with us. On August the 5th, 2010, the headlines around the world all told exactly the same story. A mine had collapsed in Chile, and the miners who were working that day were presumed dead. So the group of people that that surrounded that particular story began a recovery mission. Not a rescue mission, a recovery mission. On the surface of the ground, family members resigned themselves to what they already believed was the plight of their husbands and their fathers, their brothers and their sons. Words like hopeless, lost, and grief were written across the front pages all across the world while the grim work of recovering the bodies began. 17 days after the collapse, the whole story changed. 17 days in, suddenly the world was turned upside down when 33 miners were found 2,297 feet below the surface. Tucked in a little corner, this group of men that everybody thought were dead suddenly were found to be alive. And instantly, a recovery mission became a rescue mission. Against unbelievable odds, a dedicated group of rescuers conceived a plan that seemed almost impossible. For 69 days, they dug, they drilled, they hoped, they prayed, they failed, and then they tried again. For 69 days, the world watched as hope just inched a little bit closer into a hopeless situation. 69 days after the mine collapsed, through a long tube that had been bored out of solid rock, 69 days in, 1.2 billion people watched a video that we're actually going to start showing on the screens. 69 days in, 1.2 billion people, almost one out of every five people on the face of the planet began to watch this moment. When one of the miners, the first miner, was pulled out of the ground alive and families celebrated. The president of the country was there. People were just filled with elation because somebody dared to dream 
that a recovery mission could be changed into a rescue mission and that people could come back alive. Imagine being that family, welcoming your loved one back to the surface. Out of hopelessness came hope. Out of a moment that everybody thought was filled with death came the unthinkable, came life. In the following days, countless interviews and reports brought out the story of what happened down there under the ground. Buried in all of those reports was a little tiny newspaper account that caught my attention. I actually clipped it out. One of the miners was being interviewed about his ordeal, and he was asked a question about what kept him alive. I thought I was going to hear the typical stock answer of food, water, dreaming of my family, a desire to live, but that was not the answer that he gave. No, the response of a Chilean miner to the question, what kept you alive, was this little phrase. The hope that someone was digging. Did you love that? The hope that somebody was actually digging. All of his hope rested on a dream that into his hopeless situation, somebody was coming, somebody was digging, somebody was paying whatever price they had to and doing whatever they needed to in order to rescue him and set him free. What kept me alive? The hope that someone was digging. I had a really hard time wrapping my mind around the emotions that must have come from being completely hopeless for 17 days. When I was a kid growing up in Manitoba, we used to spend our winters building snow forts. A pile of snow quickly turned into a snow cave, and we spent hours as kids connecting it with tunnels and hidden passageways. I mean, what can I say? We were really bored in Manitoba, okay? That's what we were doing. And I remember digging the queen mother of all snow caves in my neighbor David's backyard. It was absolutely huge. It was the largest thing we had ever made together as a group of friends. And in a moment of sheer stupidity, I remember thinking that the entrance to my snow empire was just far too small and that it needed to be expanded. So I laid down in this this tube and started to dig around the edges with my shovel, trying to make the entrance bigger. And in a matter of seconds, boom, the whole thing collapsed and completely buried me. I couldn't move. I started freaking out because my hands were extended over top of my head and I'm laid flat and I can't move anything instantly. I'm in complete darkness. I can't breathe and I am completely freaking out because I can't move. And for a couple of seconds, it's absolutely quiet except for the sound of my brain thinking this thought. This is how popsicles feel. Because I'm not going anywhere. And then somebody started pulling on my feet. My friends, Rob and Doug, or Rob and David from next door, dug me out of the ground. I was only in there for a couple of seconds, and I was freaked out. The miners were there for 17 days with no hope. But everything changed. When into their isolated world came the realization that somebody was digging The Bible pulls no punches when it says that mankind has a problem. Humanity is buried in a hopeless collapse of sin. And there's no hope because none of us is good enough to handle the problem of sin on our own. Even though we pretend we found ways to manage our sin, manage the ruin in our lives, manage the despair, manage our failures and slide them into nice categories, 
Even though we pretend to excuse sin and find ways to be able to justify it, the Bible says our spiritual condition is hopeless. That we're buried and there's no getting out for any of us. And into that reality, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, started the most amazing rescue mission in all of human history. The Bible tells us that Jesus was on a rescue mission. The book of Luke, chapter 19, verse 10 says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That means this, Jesus came looking for broken people. Jesus came looking for hurting people. Jesus put aside the perfection of heaven and started digging towards a hopeless group of people who needed a Savior to save them out of a hopeless situation. The mission of Jesus didn't come at a small price. At both of the campuses at the beginning, you saw an amazingly beautiful and stunning portrayal of some of the things, some of the images that happened on Good Friday. You saw the pain and the agony that Jesus endured so he could find us and set us free from the prison of sin. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah described how his rescue mission, the rescue mission of Jesus, was going to cost him his life. The Bible says this in Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, his only son, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of all of us, the sin of all of us. In rescuing us from the prison of sin, Jesus gave his life on a cross, which means simply this. He died for me. And he died for you, whether you've recognized it or not. That's what the Son of God did. He endured excruciating pain, took our sin upon his perfect soul, so the debt of sin that we owed could be canceled and forgiven, so that he could write across it. It's been paid in full. The God who came to rescue us came in an unusual way. We celebrate the incarnation at Christmas time. He came in human form, just like you and me. He came in a way that we could understand. And yet to think that God would, would humble himself that much, you'd have to say it's a little unconventional, right? Just a little bit. His way of coming was unconventional, just like the tools of his rescue. I think we could agree that his rescue tools are somewhat unorthodox, somewhat unconventional. One of the tools that God uses to extract us from the prison of sin is a tool called grace. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Let me tell you what grace is. Grace is what happens when you don't get what you deserve. That's what grace is. If you were to get detention in middle school, and your teacher actually went to the detention classroom and spent the time there on your behalf, some of you would say, that would be a miracle. Exactly. And that would be grace. When my son Braden deserves to be brutally grounded for the rest of his life because he makes fun of me on Facebook, 
And instead of grounding him as I should, I withhold my wrath as a father and allow him to continue breathing. That's grace. Okay? When Braden's friends from the football team come over to my house and help themselves to food in my refrigerator and I don't give them a bill on the way out the door, that's grace. And we love having them. That's grace. You know, the Bible says there's only one fitting punishment for sin. And as much as we don't like to admit it, this is what the Bible says. The only fitting punishment for sin is death. That's what we deserve. But instead, Jesus offers us grace. Undeserved favor. A favor that says, I'll pay the penalty for you so that you can go free. Alongside of grace, Jesus uses another unconventional rescue tool. He uses the tool of mercy. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. That, mean, that word just means sins. It is by grace that you have been saved. A very, very, very long time ago, and I have to emphasize that it was a long time ago because I learned my lesson. I got pulled over in Bellingham by one of Bellingham's finest. The police officer came up to my car, asked for my license and my registration, and then he went away. I sat in my car thinking, I wonder who is seeing me. I also thought to myself, how am I going to explain this to my wife? And then the police officer came back, tapped on my window stuck my license and my registration, kind of tapped me on the shoulder with it, and then said this words. You talk about grace every weekend, and so now I'm going to extend some to you. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and thank you, Officer Leek, who comes to Christ the King. <laughs> yes. You guys are everywhere, aren't you? <laughs> In his mercy, even though I deserve to be punished to the full extent of the law, he gave grace and mercy to me when I didn't deserve it. I drove away without so much as a warning from a brother in Christ, which I appreciated. I didn't deserve to be let go. I should have taken in the teeth because I was speeding. Absolutely. But because of his mercy and his grace, I got to go free without paying any punishment at all. The final tool of Jesus is forgiveness. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let me just share you a snapshot of my life. When I came to Jesus, I was messed up. I was dripping in sin, saturated in it. If you had labels to put on me, it would have said lies, fraud, hypocrisy, legalism, anger, addiction, arrogance. And that would have just been the first couple. I had a pile of sin in my life that I could no longer explain away, that I could no longer run away from. I was a complete and total mess. I believe truthfully the only reason I'm still alive today is because of God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. 
it still kills me to think that out of the pile of garbage that I had placed myself in, that he would actually still love me. I came to Jesus with all of my failure, not my perfection. I came not with a list of things that I had done that he should be impressed by. No, I came wrapped in pain, and I asked him to forgive me and set me free. And the miracle was, he did. He'd been digging into my broken place year upon year, and I kept pushing him away. I kept telling him to leave me alone. But when I finally came to my senses and gave my life to Jesus, he washed me as white as snow. I needed mercy. I didn't deserve it, but he welcomed me into his family, and I was changed forever by his forgiveness. I want you to know something. The Bible says Jesus was dead for three days. For three days, grace, mercy, and forgiveness laid silent and lifeless, waiting, hoping, longing, and digging. And then on Easter Sunday morning, the Son of God broke through the barrier of sin and death. Jesus conquered sin and death once and for all when he broke through. And when he broke through, he brought life and hope to people like me and you. And the Bible describes the breakthrough moment of the resurrection with these words from Luke chapter 24. Let me read the historical account to you. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, I love this question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. In that moment, hope returned. In that moment, life was possible. Sin was defeated. Heaven was possible for each one of us. Having a relationship with God became real. Forgiveness was granted. Mercy ruled. Grace washed away the penalty of sin. And all because because a God was no longer dead. But instead, he was alive. He's not here. He's risen. He rose then and he's still alive today. Amen? Still alive today. That's why we celebrate on Easter. We celebrate the hope that comes to rescue us and set us free. The people of Christ the King celebrate because we were dead with no hope. And then Jesus came. And changed the entire trajectory of our lives. If you want an explanation as to why the people who come to Christ the King are giddy stupid on Easter weekend, it's because we were dead. But we're not dead anymore. We were going nowhere. And then Jesus came and offered us forgiveness for the past and hope for the future. Here's the good news. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how many times you've resisted God, no, how many, no matter how many times you've denied God, no matter how many times you've turned away, he has never rested in his rescue 
mission to save you. He loves you. He died to save you. He offers you a brand new life beginning today. A brand new start today. I mean, can you imagine if one of the miners down in the hole had rejected the offer of rescue? Can you imagine, can you even fathom if when the capsule finally broke through, someone's just stepping back and saying, thanks, I'm good. I'm fine. I've actually kind of grown to like it down here. I, I don't know if I can trust you to get me to the surface safely, so I think I might pass. I'm not sure I can risk it. Actually, you know what I really think? I think I can figure this out on my own. I'm going to find some way to save myself because I'm just fine. I'm scared to death and in denial, but I'm just fine. My life's okay. I don't need any help. Thanks for coming. But my answer is no. That doesn't even compute in my brain. It doesn't even compute. And so my encouragement to you is this. On this Easter weekend, don't reject God's offer of rescue and relationship today. Don't do what I did. I spent years telling God to leave me alone. I'll figure this out on my own. I would rather trust the empirical scientific method than do this crazy thing called faith. Can I tell you from experience? It doesn't work. And even if you do reject him, I'll tell you something else from experience. He'll follow you. He'll walk behind you every step of the way until you finally turn and come to him and accept his offer of rescue. This weekend, I want to give you the opportunity to reach out to the one who's been digging for you for centuries. I want to give you an opportunity to believe in him and to give your life to him. I want to explain to you what happens when we actually go through this from personal experience. See, I came to a moment when I was so unbelievably devastated with my life that I had to admit my need for God. I had to say it out loud, God, I'm lost without you. I've done life without you and I can't do it anymore. I had to come to a point where I, where I had to believe that Jesus came to save me because I never believed I deserved it. I never thought that I could actually be loved by God. It just didn't seem possible in my mind. I had to come to a moment when I had to say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I had to repent of my sin. And that was hard for somebody who struggled with unbelievable arrogance. It was pretty humbling to have to stand before God and say, God, I've been wrong. All these years, I wasted them. I've been wrong. I had to declare that Jesus was both Lord and Savior of my life. I remember saying, God, I give my life to you fully, completely. And I remember receiving my new identity in Jesus. I remember how it felt to know that I was no longer a sinner condemned, but now, instead, 
Because of God's grace, I'm a sinner that's been saved by God's amazing grace. That I've been wrapped in mercy and forgiven. If you'd like to make that decision today, if you'd like to give your life to your rescuer, I'm going to invite you to do something with me right now. We're going to pray a prayer right now. A prayer that simply says, God, I need your help. God, I need you to help me and walk with me. I need you to change me because I can't do this anymore. I'm going to give you my life because you came to rescue me. From somebody who ran for a really, really, really long time and had opportunity after opportunity, my prayer is that you'll give your heart to Jesus now and spend a life serving him, not a a lifetime running from him. So let's pray together right now. I'm going to invite everyone just to bow their head, close their eyes. At both campuses here in Bellingham and in Ferndale, if God has stirred something inside of your heart today, and you believe that you need to give your heart to Jesus, but maybe you never knew he came to look for you and save you, but this is your moment right now. I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me in your heart. Just pray together with me. Lord Jesus, today, I accept the truth that you actually love me. I need you. I admit that I've sinned. I, I realize I can't save myself. I admit that I need your help. Jesus, would you forgive me for the wrong that I've done? I'm asking for your help to turn away from things that I know are wrong. Thank you for dying on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you for the gift of grace and mercy and forgiveness. I don't deserve them. But I accept those gifts right now. Please come into my life. And be with me forever. With every eye closed and every head bowed. This is a powerful moment. A moment that I had almost 26 years ago. God changed the direction of my life and as people are praying and dealing with God right now I'd love to know if you prayed that prayer because I'd love to pray for you this week so if you gave your heart to Jesus if you accepted his offer of rescue if you just prayed that prayer with me right now would you just slip your hand straight up in the air so that I can see it if you prayed it you just stick it straight up God bless you and God bless both of you, and God bless you. And God bless you. And God bless you and you. And God bless all three of you right there. And God bless you. God bless you too up in that back corner. He's rescuing you right now. And you gave your heart to him. God bless you.
Jesus, thank you that you're still rescuing people. Jesus, thank you that you cared about us so much that, that, you, that you came after us. Jesus, thank you that you never gave up on us. That you never turned away, but instead you gave yourself for us on a cross. God, thank you for saving these. Thank you that they've been forgiven and set free. Thank you for loving each and every one of us. We celebrate you this weekend, God. We want to love you more and give ourselves to you more. We thank you that you are not dead, but that you are alive. I thank you for each one who had the courage to raise their hand. God, I pray they would know that they've been saved by grace, mercy, and forgiveness right now. And I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus, our rescuer. And all of God's people agreed together and said, Amen. Amen.